All right, friends, if you have your Bible, now's a good time to open it. This is the part of the service where we read the text and interpret it for one another and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. So we're in the Gospel of John during this series, and today we're in chapter 11. So we're going to read John 11, 17 through 25. This is the story, by the way, this is the story of Jesus encountering uh, the death of Lazarus and raising him from the dead. And this is how part of the story, how it goes. On his arrival... Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. May God add his blessing to the reading and the understanding and the doing of his holy word. Friends, welcome to week three of our series. This is a four-part series called A Matter of Life and Death. During November, we are reading from the Gospel of John to try to listen for a good word of encouragement and of hope as we talk about things like life and death and about life after death. And I want to acknowledge, again, this is a heavy subject. Talking about death isn't exactly fun. Uh, So each week, I'm giving you my best death joke. And so uh, this one uh, comes to us from Ireland. Connor lived alone in the Irish countryside with only his dog for company. And he loved his dog very much. And so on the day that the dog died, he was very sad. And he went to see his pastor at the Anglican church where he was a member. Pastor Seamus, Connor said, me dog is dead. Oh, how I loved me dog. Could you be doing a funeral for the poor creature? The pastor said, I'm I'm afraid not. The pastor was American, by the (laughs) way. The pastor said, I'm afraid not. Uh, You know, we're Anglicans, after all, and uh, in the Anglican church, you know, we don't have services for animals, you know, in in the church building. But look, you know, there's some Catholics down the road, and there's no telling, you know, what they believe. Maybe uh, maybe they'll do something for your dog. And uh, Connor said, aye, thanks, pastor. I'll check it out. By the way... Do you think 5,000 bucks is enough to donate to them for the service? (laughs) To which the pastor said, Jiminy Crickets, why didn't you tell me your dog was Anglican? (laughs) Anything for money, right? That's the message. We'll do anything for money. I'm just kidding. All right, friends. So we're talking about life and death. The message for today is I want to talk with you about how we care for the dying. How do we care for people who are dying? There is no higher calling for the people of God than to minister to men and women and children at the time of their death. Now, there's some folks who do this vocationally, right? Nurses and chaplains and home health aides. Uh, But this work is not reserved for professionals. Every disciple of Jesus is called to the ministry of caring for the dying. And the reason is because we have been entrusted with the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. We have been entrusted with this message that makes all the difference in the world that people need to hear, especially at the time of their death. Okay, so the story goes that Jesus came to call on Mary and Martha and their friends after their brother Lazarus died. And he said to them, your brother will rise again. 
And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. And Jesus said, look, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Okay, so this is the point. This is kind of one of the key verses of John chapter 11. This is the point of John chapter 11 and of, in fact, the entire gospel of John. In fact, all of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that he is the resurrection and he is the life. And everyone who believes in him, even though they die, they will live forever and ever. Friends, when we face death, this is the good news that we need to hear because death is scary, right? Death is intimidating to us. When someone I love is dying, what do I say? What do I do? Right? I want to do something to honor their life. I want to do something that's pleasing to God, but maybe I don't know what that is. Caring for the dying is not easy. It's not easy, I think, in part because we're afraid. We fear death. We're afraid of saying the wrong thing. Right? We're afraid of doing the wrong thing. Uh, We don't want to be upsetting to the other, and yet it's a very intimidating situation to sit next to the bedside of a dying person. And most of us don't even really want to think about death, you know, much less come face-to-face with it. This is hard because we feel unprepared. You know, you didn't take a class on this in college, most of us. Uh, No one taught us how to do this. When your parents get older, when your grandparents get older, nobody hands you a book and says, this is how you do it. You're just kind of like, oh, I'll do my best, right? When, when you get married, no one talks to you about, here's what happens when your spouse dies. You, you just are left to kind of figure it out the best that you can. Sometimes it's not easy because the people we try to care for resist our care. You ever had that experience before where you want to care, you want to love them and encourage them, but they kind of give you this stiff arm, right? And here's, here's what people say. I hear this all the time. People say, I don't want to be a burden. You ever heard people say that? They say it all the time, especially church people for some reason. I don't want to be a burden, right? And on the one hand, it makes sense. Like, okay, you don't want to leave your family with a lot of debt. You don't want to leave them with unresolved problems. Of course not. But on the other hand, isn't that what it means to be a family? Is to burden each other, to, to be willing to, to take on each other's burdens? I mean, isn't that why you, you hold your wife's hair when she's throwing up, Right? <laughs> Isn't that why you're patient with your husband when he's having a bad day? Right? Isn't that why you sit through your kids' uh, recitals and concerts and soccer games? And you're like, this, this is not that good. This is, this is terrible. But you say, oh, sweetie, good job, right? Because you love them. Because you're family. That's what you do when you're a family. You bear each other's burdens. And the point is not whether it's good or bad. The point is that you love them. And that's what family does. Galatians 6, 2 says, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens, okay? So this is what we do for each other. And not just in our families of origin with your spouses and your parents, your kids, but in the family of God. You see, in the church of Jesus Christ, friends, we have a claim on each other. I have a claim on your life, and you have a claim on my life. What that means is we're not autonomous individuals who just sort of operate independently all the time. We are members of a body. We are together. We are unified in the body of Christ. And taking care of the body is part of what makes the church a moral community that is worthy of the term family. There's a word we have for this practice of carrying each other's burdens. We call it compassion. We call it compassion. 
Now, what is compassion? Compassion very simply means concern for the suffering of others, right? But not all compassion is created equally. You, you know this, I think, instinctively. There is a selfish sort of compassion in which our concern for the other means I have to put a stop to their suffering because I cannot bear to see it. Right? That's a selfish kind of compassion. Okay, so your kid has a headache, you give him some Tylenol. Uh, your wife has an injury, you take her to the hospital. Of course we do that, right? But selfish compassion goes even further. Selfish compassion says, I must put a stop to their suffering by any means necessary. And so we uh, engage in medical interventions that we might not want. Or uh, we say, well, I'm, I'm just better to end the life than allow them to suffer. Or at the least, we say, well, I'm just not going to come around, right? Because I can't see it. I can't, I can't live with watching this person suffer. Okay, so in these terms, suffering is inevitably pointless. In a selfish compassion framework, there's no point to suffering. No good could ever come out of it because in terms of selfish compassion, suffering is the ultimate evil. Okay, let's contrast selfish compassion with Christ-like compassion. Christ-like compassion gets to the root of the word, okay? So the prefix com means with, okay? And passion means to suffer, okay? So compassion literally means to suffer with. When you have compassion for someone, it means you literally are willing to suffer with them, okay? Selfish compassion means I have to erase the suffering, Christ-like compassion means I might not be able to fix it, but I'll be with you. I'll sit with you. I'm willing to attend to you, minister to you, be your friend, even if I can't fix it. I'll stay with you because you are not alone. Okay, This is what Jesus does for us on the cross. On the cross is his most definitive act of compassion. Jesus has the chance to reject it, to walk away, say, let someone else do it, or let these human beings just fend for themselves. Instead, he embraces the cross. He carries it. He dies for you and for me. He willingly suffers with us in our sin to redeem us, to show us the love of God. Okay, that is a Christ-like kind of compassion. And to be caregivers for those who are dying means that we would offer this kind of compassion to them, to willingly suffer with the other, to refuse to look away even when they are in pain. Today I want to offer you a set of practices, a set of holy habits that we can engage in to practice this kind of compassion with people who are dying. I I find when it comes to dealing with death and sitting with someone who's dying, we just say, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Let me give you, share with you some encouragement. This is what we can do and what we can say. That can make a difference uh, to know that there, there is a good word for the dying. Okay, so in the 11th chapter of John, that's why I picked it for today, is because this is what Jesus models for us in his ministry to Lazarus and to Lazarus's family. Okay, so the story goes, Lazarus dies, and uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples about it, like before they get there to the community of Bethany where they're going. And the disciples said, well, maybe he's just asleep, right? Maybe he's just so we can go wake him up. And uh, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead, okay? So the disciples want to minimize it, right? They want to kind of euphemize it, and they want to say, oh, maybe it's not that. And Jesus said, look, no, 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 he's dead, okay? He's dead. So here's holy habit number one, friends, when it comes to caring for the dying. Tell the truth. 
Okay, always tell the truth. We do not need to avoid honest speech. Uh, We will not accomplish anything when we lie to each other, right? We're not going to accomplish anything when we minimize the sting of death. Now, you don't have to do it harshly, okay? Telling the truth doesn't mean mean mean-spirited. You can do it with gentleness, but always, always tell the truth. Recently, I was listening to an NPR podcast. Anybody else listen to podcasts? My wife thinks I'm the biggest dork ever. I don't know. I don't know why she didn't enjoy it, but I think podcasts are the greatest, and I love NPR. So I was listening to this NPR podcast, and they were telling the story about this family who conspired not to tell their 80-year-old grandmother that she was dying with stage 4 lung cancer. Okay, so the doctor came to the family, said, Grandma has three months to live. The family talked to each other. They said, well, you know, this is going to send Grandma's anxiety through the roof. You know, she won't be able to handle this. Therefore, we will not tell her. Okay, so everybody knew. The doctors knew. The family knew. But Grandma did not know. The longer I listened to the podcast, the madder I got. I was hot. I was ready to throw something at the speaker. You know, I was so mad as I'm listening to this. And and I'm thinking, you know what? Here's the truth. It wasn't grandma's anxiety that was driving them. It was their anxiety. Oh, we cannot imagine telling grandma about this. And so they withheld the truth from her. Now, I'm I'm pleased to tell you that's usually the exception rather than the rule. Uh, Most families are finally able to come around and tell each other the truth. And one of the ways that this has really blossomed in our culture is through the modern hospice movement. Have you ever heard of hospice? It's a wonderful, wonderful ministry of care for the dying. And it was founded by a Christian woman named Cicely Saunders. And she had this radical idea that when people are dying, we should not just care for their bodies. We should also care for their souls. And her vision was to replace the anxiety and fear around death with respect and with dignity and with hope and with compassion. And so thanks to movements like the hospice movement, we're able to tell each other the truth. Okay, secondly, practice what we call a non-anxious presence. Holy habit number two, be a non-anxious presence. And so much of our anxiety comes from our inability to fix the situation. We want to make it better But we can't make it better, right? And we feel powerless. And in some ways, we are powerless. But here's a question. What if the dying person is not a problem to be solved, but a soul to be cared for? Wouldn't that change the way that we care for each other? What if death is not only a battle for us to fight, but a mystery for us to honor? Wouldn't that change the way that we relate with each other, friends. You see, if dying is the worst possible outcome, then yes, we would rage against it, right, with all of our resources and all of our effort. But if dying is part of the spiritual journey that leads us into the nearer presence of God, then we engage it differently, don't we? So Jesus arrives to meet Mary and Martha after their brother died, and they were angry. They were angry. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So Martha was mad. Why was she mad? She was mad that her brother died. She was mad because she thought Jesus could have fixed it, and he did not. He did not come earlier when Lazarus was still alive. I wonder if you've ever been caring for someone in a crisis, and they get mad at you, and you're like, well, I didn't do anything, but they take it out on you. That ever happened to you? Okay. It happens to me all the time. (laughs) 
they get mad at you. They take it out on you, okay? So a couple things I want you to know about that. One, it's not your fault. That when we face difficulty, we have anxiety, we have fear, and we project it. We put it on to other people. Partly what that means is you're a safe person. They can be themselves in front of you, okay? So don't take it personally. Don't run away. And see, what Jesus does in this situation is he acknowledges, oh, okay, Martha is having a really bad day. And it's not Jesus' fault. And so instead of running away, he stays. He stays engaged with Martha and with Mary. I did a little research this week, and I talked to one of our Timberlake people. She is a hospice nurse. Her name's Casey Bradley. And Casey uh, said, you know what? Tell them it's okay to sit in silence. Friends, it is okay to sit in silence. Be a non-anxious presence. So often we feel like we've got to have just the right thing to say, right? Or just the right thing to do. It's okay just to be and to say, I don't really have everything to say to you, but I'm going to sit here with you. I'm going to be with you so that you are not alone. Casey compares death to birth. And she says, you know, when someone dies or when someone is born, it's complicated and it's complex and rarely does it go exactly to the way we would like it to go. Rarely does it go exactly according to plan. And so that might create anxiety, but I'm inviting you, be a non-anxious presence. Holy habit number three, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Death feels to us something like we should fear. Right, But over and over, the God of the Bible, the God of this book says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. When Jesus arrived at the grave where they had buried Lazarus, the story goes, take away the stone, Jesus said. But Lord, said Martha, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Okay, so Martha's afraid. She's afraid of what they're going to find if they roll the stone away. Uh, she and the other people are kind of hung up on, on uh, their lack of power over this situation. There's nothing they could do. He, they tried, and he still died. And so Jesus is, is wanting them to imagine something different. Imagine not their power. Imagine the power of God over this situation. I talked to another one of our Timberlake people this week. Um, his name is Seth Cotton. Seth is a hospice chaplain. And Seth pointed out that Jesus in this story is dismayed at their lack of faith, right? Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? And it's like, oh, Jesus is saying, you still don't trust me, do you? You still don't get it. I've been trying to teach this to you over and over. For years, we have been going over this. And, and it's like they still didn't understand that God is bigger than death. God is bigger than death. Therefore, we don't have to be afraid. We do not have to be afraid. Holy habit number four, practice the disciplines. Friends, practice spiritual disciplines with and for the person who is dying. Help them to practice spiritual disciplines, okay? Read the Bible to them. Bring your Bible or open it up on your phone app and read it to them. What do I read? Read Romans 8 that says, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Read the 23rd Psalm that says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, read from the Gospel of John. This, all this is good, good stuff. Read the Bible to them. Sing with them. Sing to them. You say, oh, I'm not a good singer. That doesn't matter. Just sing. Sing their favorite songs. Sing the songs that make them smile. You know, we've noticed that dementia patients who have lost 
almost all of their memories can sometimes still remember music, and it seems like it's the last thing, perhaps, to go. So sing with them. Sing their favorite songs. Encourage them to confess their sin. Listen to their confession, and then pronounce on them the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And pray with them. Friends, you can pray with them. Uh, I think one time ever in my whole life have I ever had someone decline prayer, and he was in a really bad mood, right? Everybody else, when I say, can I pray for you, he said, I went to the hospital because his wife asked me to go. You're in one of these situations? She's like, if you would just go see him, that'd be great. And I was like, okay. And I get there, and he's just super mad. He said, I'm not feeling particularly confessional right now. <laughs> I was like, okay, bro. God loves you. I'm out. And I just, whoop, I just left. But that's the only time. Every other time when I have offered to pray for someone, they say, yes, thank you. Okay? They will say, yes, thank you, and you will pray for them. So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Okay, so in the face of death, Jesus prays. Jesus prays. He talks to Heavenly Father, and he reminds us, you always hear us. God is always more ready to listen to you, friends, than we are to go to him. Then the story comes to a climax in the next two verses, verses 43 and 44. When Jesus had said this, he called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped in strips of linen, and there was a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Some versions say, unbind him. All right, this is the liberation of Lazarus. He's resurrected. He was dead, and now he's alive. And I'm so sorry that John doesn't record the, the reaction of the crowd, right? Like, I mean, was, was there shouting and singing? Was, was there dancing and celebration or just shock and awe? We can imagine, right? We can imagine. But this part of the story brings us to the last and most important thing that we can do for the dying, which is this, friends. Proclaim the resurrection. Proclaim the resurrection. Tell of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his promise of the resurrection of all of God's people. This is the best and last thing that you can do for a person who is dying. Now get this, whether they are a believer or not, this is the best thing that you can do, okay? If they're not a believer, this is their only hope. This is their only hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if they are a believer, This is their best comfort, their best comfort, that there is a resurrection. Put yourself in the story for a moment. Okay, put yourself in the story. Imagine how Mary and Martha felt when their brother came back to life. Okay, they were so incredibly low in their grief and in their sadness. Imagine if that just gets completely flip-flopped, and now they're so high in their joy and their gratitude. Imagine if someone you love died, okay? Put yourself in Mary and Martha's shoes. Imagine someone you love died. You had the funeral, and then you buried them, and then the next day, they're alive again. Now, how would you feel? Be shocked? Joyful? Excited? You know, blown away? Surely that's how Mary and Martha were feeling in that moment. Like, wow, this is amazing. Okay, here's the thing, though. 
In a few years, Lazarus died again. Right? Lazarus, he would have died again. Okay, what does that mean about the story? Okay, it means the point of the story is not, hey, let's give Lazarus a few more good years. You know, that would be cool. The point of the story is not, oh, Mary and Martha are sad. Let's try to make them happy for a little while. Right? That's, that's not the point of the story at all. Okay, the point of the story is summed up in the last verse of the story. Verse 45 says this. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Okay, that is the point of the story. Okay, look, John starts, therefore. Okay, you know, therefore, when you see it in the text, it means, hey, remember what happened right before this? Okay, this is the conclusion. Therefore, because Lazarus died and his sisters cried and Jesus raised him from the dead, therefore... Those who saw what he did believed in Jesus. They believed in Jesus. This is the point of the story, friends, to reveal the power of Jesus Christ. To reveal the power of Jesus Christ. And so the resurrection of Lazarus, as great as it is, it's really just an appetizer. It's just a taste of the heavenly banquet. It's a sign of what is to come. And what is to come? Jesus is going to return. And he's going to say, get up. And he's going to raise the dead. And when Jesus comes back and raises the dead, it's not just going to be Lazarus, right? It's not just going to be one guy. It's going to be all the people. He's going to say, people of God, church, get up. And all the people of God will come alive. And it's not just going to be for a few years until we die again. No, it's going to be forever and ever and ever. Get your head around that for a second. The purposes of God, friends, are not temporary. They are eternal. They are forever and ever and ever. And so when you sit with someone you love and their life is slipping away and you can watch it happening and you say, oh, my gosh, you know, this is the worst thing and I feel terrible and I don't know what to do and I don't know what to say, you tell them, Jesus is alive, and he's coming back for you and for me. And when he comes back, he's going to say, get up, and we are going to be in God's heaven forever and ever. That is the good news. Believe it and tell it. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you for this incredible story of the resurrection of Lazarus and of Jesus' friend, whom he loved very much. God, we're puzzled in the story when Jesus seems to wait a few days until he goes to call on the family of Lazarus. And yet now we can see that the reason is to display your glory and to reveal his power for them and for us. And so, God, help us live in such a way that we are fully trusting in the power of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ to raise us from the dead now and forever and ever. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.